Okay, we're going to read the Bible together now. We read the Bible each week at City Light and believe it's the Word of God. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 9, verse 18 to 26, if you have your Bibles, or it should come up on the screen behind me. So it's Luke 9, 18 to 26. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Thanks, Anna, and good morning, everyone. Well, last time I preached here at City Light, it was because Jacob got COVID. <laughs> so I think I might buy him a tub of sanitizer or something like that. But it is really an honour uh, to open God's Word with you this morning, and I'm um, really delighted for the privilege. Uh, as many of you know, four years ago, uh, my wife on our, and I and our kids moved back to Australia, having spent 10 years as cross-cultural missionaries in Southeast Asia. Now, they say when you first get back after a long time living overseas, it's a really good time to notice what's changed in your home culture. Apparently, if you've been back for more than 6 or 12 months, it all just becomes the new normal and you stop noticing. But in those first few months, you've got eyes to see what changed. And this morning, I want to tell you about one of the things that really struck Anna and me. And that was safety. It seemed to us when we first got back that Australia had gone nuts on safety. Wherever we went, whatever we did, people were warning us of risks, of things that could go wrong, of dangers that we needed to avoid. Let me tell you a few of our early experiences. We went to a national park, which seemed to be this restful, idyllic, peaceful setting with these big, beautiful trees. But the experience was kind of spoiled by this huge sign saying, warning, these branches could fall on you. And then we signed up to get an Australian bank account, and we got sent this uh, email. And in the email, it said, your safety is our priority. And I kind of thought, I, I sort of hoped that looking after my money would be your priority. Uh, and then we got a note from school, uh, from one of our kids' schools. Uh, it was this home challenge with a checklist of activities that the child had to do at home, like cook a meal, play a board game, fly a kite, and they had to tick these off and take it back to school. And at the top of the note was this big warning in all capital letters saying, all activities must be supervised and witnessed by a responsible adult. You cannot take part in this unless you are safe. And this just kept happening. It seemed like the more places we went, the more we found that we were being told that we needed to be constantly vigilant, that there were threats everywhere. 
And it's just not, not just Anna and I who've uh, noticed this. As we noticed this and talked about it, we started doing some reading on it, and I found that uh, this is a trend in the Western world uh, which has been written about and researched on. Um, there's a, there's a, a lawyer and social psychologist, Lukianov and Haid, who've researched it and written about it, and they call it the rise of safetyism. The rise of safetyism. And have a look, I'll put a quote up on the screen. This is what they mean by safetyism. Safetyism refers to a culture or a belief system in which safety has become a sacred value, which means that people become unwilling to make trade-offs demanded by other practical and moral concerns. Safety trumps everything else. That's quite a big claim, isn't it? That safety has, in our society, become a sacred value, something which trumps everything else. Now, if this is true, if there is a rise in this mindset, in the mindset of safetyism going on around us, if we're living in a culture which is training us, which is teaching us to prioritize our safety, then I want to say that this poses a challenge for you and for me, uh, for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. Because Jesus isn't calling us to prioritize our safety. You heard his words read out a few moments ago. They're quite striking, aren't they? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. These are striking words. Jesus isn't calling us to prioritize our safety, at least not as our culture is defining it at the moment. On the contrary, following Jesus involves risk and sacrifice. Now, I could tell you, tell you a story of that, a fairly extreme story. Uh, once I went to a conference where I met someone whose job was to do ethnographic research, sort of map out parts of the world or parts of the region where we were serving where the gospel hasn't gone. And then he would he would publish this data on unreached peoples, peoples where, which, who haven't heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Uh, he told me this story of how he accessed one of, one, of, one of these groups. He said to get to them, there was a plane trip, followed by a bus trip, followed by a motorbike trip, because there was no roads that cars could go on, followed by a canoe trip, and then another mot motorbike trip along muddy roads, and then another canoe trip, and then he arrived at this particular people group that hadn't yet heard the gospel. And then, I, then he said, let me tell you about what it was like there. There was no electricity there, there were no schools, there was no uh, running water system. Now think about it. If Jesus has commanded us, his followers, to make disciples of all nations, if, if we, the church, are going to obey his command to do that, some of us are going to need to be willing to go to places like that, aren't we, to share the gospel. If that was you or me, what would it be like? So yes, following Jesus involves risk and sacrifice. But it's easy to say, isn't it? Well, yes, it involves risk and sacrifice for someone who does something extreme and crazy like go to a place like that. It's easy to write that off as the kind of risky missionary life and say it's different for the majority of us, the rest of us. 
But I don't think we can do that. See, wherever we live in the world, including if we live in Sydney's inner west, if we choose to follow Jesus, which means choosing to follow his radical commands to us, his commands about how to use our time, how to use our money, what to devote our life to, if we do that, there's going to be risk and sacrifice for all of us. Risk and sacrifice by the standards of this world, no matter who we are, no matter where we are. Following Jesus' path is very different to making what our culture calls safety our priority, making it a sacred value. So this is the problem that we face, and it's the problem I'd like us to grapple with this morning at church. We're living in a culture that's calling us to prioritise our safety, and yet we've got a Lord and Saviour, if we're we're followers of Jesus, who calls us to a life that involves risk and sacrifice. And the question I want to ask is, well, how are we going to find courage as followers of Jesus to follow that call in the face of a culture which is calling us this way? Well, in today's text, Luke chapter 9, which Anna read out for us a few moments ago, Jesus is actually equipping us to find the courage to follow his call. And he's equipping us by helping us to understand why. Why risk and self-sacrifice are required of his followers. Why following Jesus inevitably involves those things, risk and self-sacrifice. See, once we understand that, once we have that set in place, then we are equipped, we are empowered by Jesus to make this costly choice of life. So this is the question we're going to be asking as we walk through the text. Why does following Jesus involve risk and self-sacrifice? We're diving in at Luke 9, verse 18. It's a, it's a critical moment in the, in the Gospel of Luke, which is telling the story of Jesus' life and ministry. It's a turning point because it's a moment where the disciples finally realise who Jesus actually is. In verse 18, Jesus says to the, his followers, the disciples, Who do the crowds say I am? And they reply, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets... And then Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter nails it in verse 20. He says, God's Messiah. And that's right. He's worked it out. You are God's Messiah. You are the the one that God has promised, the deliverer who will establish God's kingdom. You are God's Messiah. Now the whole of Luke up to this point, chapters 1 to 9, has been about working out the disciples working this out. The big question has been, who is Jesus? And it's, now the disciples have nailed it, they, they, they know that he's God's Messiah, now the Gospel of Luke takes a different direction. There's a new question now. It's no longer who is Jesus, it's now, well, what does it mean for Jesus to be God's Messiah? What does it mean for Jesus himself? And then what does it mean for those who would follow Jesus? Now the first thing Jesus says once Peter has said, you are God's Messiah, is keep quiet about this. Which might be a bit surprising, right? Verse 21, don't tell anyone, keep this quiet. Jesus does this because he's about to start to teach his followers what it means for him and what it means for his followers for Jesus to be the Messiah. 
See, before they're allowed to tell anyone else that he is the Messiah, and they will be allowed, in fact, they will be commanded, that's the command he's going to leave them with to tell the whole world this news. But before they can do that, they need to understand what it means, both for Jesus and for them, that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what he starts teaching them in verse 22. I'll read out verse 22. This is where Jesus says what it'll mean for him. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So that's what it's going to mean for Jesus to be the Messiah. It's going to mean suffering, rejection, death, then resurrection. Now this is not what the disciples expected Jesus to say at this point. (laughs) See, if you'd asked the disciples what they thought it would mean for Jesus to be the Messiah, they probably would have said progress, victory, adulation and glory. That was the understanding they had of what it means to be the Messiah. But Jesus says it's going to mean suffering, rejection, death, and then resurrection. And at this point, he doesn't really say why. He just says it's the way that it must be. It must happen. It's been ordained by God. This is the way that God has planned, has decreed for his Messiah to carry out God's mission. This is the road the Messiah must travel, this road of suffering, rejection, and death. Uh, Yes, it's going to end well, right? It's going to end in resurrection, being raised to life, eternal life, resurrection life. This is the, the promised eternal kingdom that God's people had been looking forward to for centuries, what we will often call glory. So this is, that's where this road ends. This road ends in glory. But this road to glory runs through very difficult terrain, doesn't it? Suffering, rejection, death on a cross. So let's go back to that question that we're asking. Why does following Jesus involve risk and self-sacrifice? We're going to get the first part of the answer here in verse 22. It's because for Jesus, the road to glory runs through the cross. Road to glory runs through the cross, runs through difficult terrain. This is the way that God has ordained it. So this is not what the disciples expected to hear, and it's not what they wanted to hear. You see, for centuries, the disciples and the Israelites before them They've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been longing, they've been hoping for the Messiah, but for centuries they've got their understanding of what the Messiah would be like from King David. King David was the first one to establish God's kingdom on earth, the kingdom of Israel, and the weapon that he used to do that was the sword. He did it by winning battles. That's how the Messiah did it. And now Jesus turns up and says, yes, I am the Messiah, and the weapon that I'm going to wield as the Messiah is innocent suffering and voluntary sacrifice. That's how I'm going to establish the kingdom. I reckon that would have completely floored the disciples. And it continues to completely floor us too to this day, right? Like when we, the people of the world, when we think about what weapons that we need to bring good into the world to make this world a better place, what we 
humans normally think of is the weapons of government or law or education or medicine or money. What we don't expect, what we would, I don't think ever, we would never come up with ourselves, is that it's going to be the weapon of personal risk, of innocent suffering, of voluntary sacrifice. But that's the weapon that Jesus, as Messiah, will wield. Suffering, rejection, death. Why does following Jesus involve risk and self-sacrifice? Because the road to glory runs through the cross. So that's what it means for Jesus. What about what it means for Jesus' followers, for the disciples? Jesus moves on to that in the very next verse, verse 23. And in this verse, something really important emerges. This is something that has huge implications for my life and, if you're a follower of Jesus, for your life too. Because this is what emerges in verse 23. What goes for Jesus goes for his followers. See, if for Jesus the road to glory runs through the cross with suffering, rejection and death, what we find out here is so too for his followers. The road to glory for us also runs through the cross with suffering, rejection and death. Have a look with me at these verses. Verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, being a follower of this Messiah will mean, take, uh, mean denying ourselves and it will mean taking up our cross every day of our life. Now, what does that mean to take up our cross? It's, it's, it's become a, a saying uh, in our culture to take up your cross, but do we understand what Jesus means by it here? Back then, when criminals took up their cross, what they actually did was pick up the instrument on which they were going to be executed and carry it to the place where they would be executed. So it, it was a walking of a road to their own death. And that road was often filled with great suffering because there was rejection and shame. It, it was a road that would often literally be lined with howling mobs who would hurl insults at the criminal who was being executed. So that's part of what taking up your cross means. It means walking that road of suffering to your death. But there's actually more to it than that because what the disciples didn't know when Jesus spoke those words, but what Luke's first readers did know as Luke recorded it, and what we know is that Jesus himself would end up dying the death on the cross and would actually take up his cross and carry it to the place where he would be executed and that that would be a road of suffering, of rejection, of shame, of mobs hurling insults at him. And so as Luke's first readers read this phrase, and as we read it now, we see that it means that we are to walk the same road of rejection as Jesus walked. We're to follow Jesus down that road. We're to open ourselves up to shame and suffering for the sake of the gospel, to rejection, to howling mobs, hurling insults for the sake of the gospel. So back to our question, why does following Jesus involve risk and self-sacrifice? We saw that the first answer was because for Jesus, the road to glory runs through the cross. 
And now the second answer we see is that so too for us, his followers. The road to glory runs through the cross. See, as followers of Jesus, we walk the same road as our Messiah walked. What goes for Jesus goes for us. The weapon that we have been given to wield as his followers is the same weapon, the weapon of innocent suffering and voluntary sacrifice. So we can see in these two verses, verses 22 and 23, we've got a profound answer to our question why following Jesus involves risk and self-sacrifice. Verse 22, because for Jesus the road to glory runs through the cross. Verse 23, because for his followers the road to glory also runs through the cross. And in these final few verses of the, of the section, verses 24, 25 and 26, Jesus just reinforces and elaborates on this point. Let's have a look at those verses now. Verse 24, Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So if you become a follower of Jesus, if you willingly walk this road of suffering that Jesus walked, taking on the suffering, the self-denial, the rejection that might come as a result of following him and obeying his commands, that is, if you lose your life for Jesus, then Jesus says you will save it. You will experience the salvation he, give, he gives to his followers. That's this road to glory that is running through the cross, the difficult terrain of suffering. But the flip side is, which he also points out here, is if you try to save your life, if you try to hold on, if you, try to, if you refuse to walk this road of suffering because you know there might be suffering there, if you refuse to submit to Jesus' way, to God's way, if the, if the thought of losing the world's approval is too much, if the thought of losing the world's comforts or protections is too much so that you don't follow Jesus, don't follow him down that road, if you do that, if you try to save your life, says Jesus, you'll actually lose it. So the road to glory runs through the cross, yes, but the other road, that, that comfortable one, that easier one, that one with approval and acceptance by the world, it doesn't lead to glory. It leads, says Jesus, to death. Now this is a really important message for us, living in a culture where there's the rise of safetyism, a culture which is training and encouraging us to protect ourselves, to save our life, to avoid risk. Jesus turns that whole conversation upside down and says, if you want to talk about risk, the biggest risk is that we miss out on glory. We miss out on God. We miss out on his eternal blessing. That's the biggest risk. What would Jesus say about the safetyism discussion? I think Jesus would say, if you really care about safety, what you should care about is ultimate safety, eternal safety, true safety. And the path to that, the path to glory is a risky road of sacrifice. The road of living for Jesus, living for Jesus' mission. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, the only place where true safety can be found is at the end of a road filled with risk, sacrifice. This is the road of following Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 25, Jesus continues explaining what this all means. Verse 25, 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus uses exaggeration here to, to, to make a point, right? You could, you could travel so far down that other road, that one that avoids the suffering, the one that accumulates the good things of this world, the one that wins the, exception, the acceptance and the adulation of the world. You could travel so far down that world that you actually gain the whole world. I mean, you won't, of course. Lots of people have been trying and no one's ever done it. But imagine if you did. Even if you gained the whole world, it would still be a tragic decision. It would still be the wrong decision. Because that is a road that ultimately leads to death, that leads to exclusion from God, exclusion from God's kingdom. Jesus keeps going in the next verse, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is saying, as you, as you decide which road to travel here, Think about where each road ends. Think about the endpoints. Because yes, maybe we're tempted to avoid following Jesus because of the pain, the hurt, the shame, the rejection, the loss of status that might come with that. Maybe we're tempted. And Jesus says, as you make that choice and as you feel that temptation, remember where each road ends. The road ends with Jesus, the great end-time judge, on the day when he returns to carry his end-time judgment out, it ends with, those, with Jesus rejecting the one who chooses that other road. That's where it ends, says Jesus. I think what Jesus is doing in these verses, verses 23, 24, 25, 26, I think he's equipping us to have a particular mindset towards the things of the world and, and, and the world itself around us. I think Jesus knows that there's this danger that because we know that following him might entail rejection by the world, therefore attachment to the things of the world, attachment to the values of the world, it could be life-threatening for us because it could tempt us to make a bad choice. It could threaten our willingness to keep following Jesus. And so Jesus wants us to develop this right attitude to the things of the world. It's, it's a willingness, verse 23, to deny ourselves. Verse 24, to lose our life if necessary. Verse 25, to lose the world. Verse 26, to endure shame from the world for the sake of Jesus. That's the attitude he wants to give us, is that to, the attitude of being ready to give it all up if hanging on to those things of the world might threaten our ability to follow him, to serve him, to obey him. See, now I think we've got the full answer to that question. That question, why does following Jesus involve risk and self-sacrifice? We've seen it's because the road to glory runs through the cross. And in these final verses, we're seeing that we can't walk this road to glory if we're clinging too tightly onto the things of this world. And that's hard for us because our risk-averse, safety-loving culture is calling us to hold back from following Jesus radically. It's call, causing, calling us to balk. It's calling us to play it safe with our money, with our time, with our relationships. But Jesus is showing us in these verses that that is actually the way of danger. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, he says. 
but whoever loses their life for me will save it. In the last few moments, I want us to, uh, to reflect now, think now about how this is going to play itself out in each of our lives. See, if what we've learned today is true, and that is that the path to true safety means sharing in Jesus' suffering and self-denial and cross-bearing, what will that look like for us, for each of us, in the different areas of our life? We could, we could play this out in lots of different areas. We could, we could ask, well, what will it look like for us here at church? How can we bring that, that mindset of, uh, of self-denial, of self-sacrifice for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel, to the way we, we, we relate to each other here at church, the way we serve here at church? Or we could ask it in the area of life with our, our friends outside of church, neighbours and family uh, and workmates. And What will this mindset of self-denial for the gospel look like there? Is there, is there fears that are stopping us from carrying out Jesus' demands and commands in, that, in those relationships? Fear of rejection or opposition or shame. Are we willing to walk that road of risk that Jesus is calling us to in those relationships? Or we could think about it in the area of the life decisions, our decisions that we make about our future. What might this mindset of self-denial for the gospel for Jesus look like there? There's all sorts of areas that we could apply this to and I want to encourage us all to, to spend today and this week mulling over this profound challenge from Jesus and, and thinking about what it might look like this year for us in the different parts of our life. But as we do, as we do that, as we apply it to our own lives, I, I want us all to remember this. What Jesus is showing us here is actually the path to true safety. Like it, it feels counterintuitive, right? It feels wrong, it feels upside down, but this is the truth. Choosing the hard road is actually the best thing for us. That's the motivation Jesus is giving us here for self-sacrifice. It's not, oh, think of those poor people, they need your help, or even think of my mission, I need your help. He's saying, this is the best thing for you to go down this path. It's the best thing for you. It's where true safety is. It's where true joy is. It's where true life is. And I'm going to finish with a story uh, where I learnt this lesson in a profound way and which I think illustrates this lesson of, uh, of risk and sacrifice being the path to joy in Jesus, even now. So this is a story from about 10 years ago when we were living in Southeast Asia. Uh, I was invited to preach at a church in another city and this church had experienced a lot of suffering and persecution. So it was, in, it was an area that was very hardline Muslim and there were some Muslim groups there that had publicly announced they wanted to rid their area of Christians and so they kept gathering these sort of protest mobs who would go to churches and protest and the police eventually felt compelled to shut the church down. And so this church had been shut down four times in four years. But each time they were shut down, they sort of secretly found somewhere else to meet and then started meeting again until they were found out and the, the process was repeated. So each time the people of this church facing threats of violence from these protesters and threats of uh, being put in jail from the police, each time they had made that choice to continue to meet as a church, continue to worship Jesus. And so these are people who had 
made that choice, been forced into a decision that we're very unlikely to ever have to make as a church here in, in, in the inner west. I'm, I don't make any predictions about where, where politics is going to go here, but very unlikely it's going to make, be a decision that we would be forced to make in our context here. And often we will, we will thank God that we don't have to, right? And we'll, we might feel sorry for them in their situation. But the experience I had that particular day made me react quite differently to those typical responses. It changed the way I thought about risk and self-sacrifice for Christ when I saw these people. And it was because when I saw what they were like when I visited their church. So what is it? What, what were these people like? These are people who live under threat from a Muslim majority who doesn't want them there, who threatens violence against them. People who have been forced to make a choice, right? Am I going to continue to follow Jesus despite these risks? And who have said yes to that. What were these people like? Well, I want to say, out of all the churches and Christian groups that we visited in, in 10 years in Southeast Asia, this group, more than any other, had an irresistible joy in Christ. They had a genuine thirst for God, a joy in God. These were people who'd risked everything to keep meeting. They seemed to be a group more than any other that had clarity on just how good it is to be with Christ and to be walking Christ's road with him. The road to glory runs through the cross. And the more that we walk that road, the more we realise it's the best thing we could ever do. Let's pray now. Dear God, we thank you and we praise you for Jesus. Jesus, who voluntarily walked down the path of rejection and suffering and death. Jesus, who wielded the weapon of innocent suffering and self-sacrifice, that your plan might be fulfilled. Father God, please give us courage to choose to walk down that road with Jesus. Please give us eyes that can see clearly that this is the best path to be on the path that ends in glory, the path that is with Jesus. Please give us the courage to not shy away from suffering for the advance of the gospel as we make our life's choices, daily choices, long-term choices. Please give us deep joy in being with Jesus, walking the same road that Jesus walked. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.